Okay, good luck, everybody. Always a schuss to be together. Always a schuss to be together. Matzah Shabbos Kodesh. No more special way to start the week. We go from the Kedusha of Shabbos and right away to Sina Shemzekanios who want to start their week with more Kedusha and clearly take all the Kedusha of Shabbos into the week in a beautiful way, Ben Zashem. And tonight, tonight's very special. Tonight's very special. First of all, I have this chus, I guess in a few minutes, to hear words of Torah and Chizik from Yudid Nafshi, Mordechai Berg. A lot of Chavr doesn't know, we were Chavrusas. So we're really one. Whatever Torah there is, it's all one. Baruch Hashem. And once you're a Chavrusa, you're always a Chavrusa. I want to thank those who uh, helped to make this possible tonight. Julia, Sarah, and all the, all the sponsors that apparently all wanted to be anonymous. Such be as chus for only simcha and bracha, and only besers tovos and good things for your beautiful mishpachas. About 14 years ago, 14 years ago I had this chus to be in Meirom for Lag Bomer. It was a very special trip. Myself, Rabbi Eli Brazil, and he's Kaylee Hever here, and about 17 Talmidim. And this incredible trip, spoken about it over the years. First we went to Ukraine, to all the Mekoymas Kedoshim, to Rav Nachman and the, the Baal Shem, the Magad of Mezrich, Rav Zusha. And we ended in Ertisrol, like Boimer, it was a Thursday night. It's incredible. It's a trip that I still think about pretty much every day of my life. If I told all the stories of that trip, we'd be here all night. We get to we get to Meiron, we get to Reb Shimon. It was about twelve o'clock at night, Lag Boimer, and right away we say to the guys, Let's, "We're going to dive in Meiron together." Then everyone's on their own, do your thing, dancing and tefillas. It's there were two Talmidim, and they they were so enamored by the whole scene and by all the kedusha and everything that was going on. Like, Rebbe, can we just go? We need to go. We need to go tons. We'll dive in my earth later. I'm not. And the MS was, even though these were high school guys, but they were, they were really meant it. And anyway, they're minyanim all night long. I said, of course, go. Do your thing. And all night long, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of people, so you don't really bump into each other. And I'm doing my night. It was mamish incredible. And, it was about 4, 4.30 in the morning, I bump into those two Talmidim. And we're talking about the night, how special it was. Well, the dancing. Well, the Kirvus Elohim. The Tfilos. And I say, oh guys, did you dive in my roof? And like, oh Rebbe, we mamish totally forgot. We really meant to. But we were so into everything. It was a night of Kedusha, but they just forgot. And I quickly calculated... I saw that it was already after Alos HaShachar, after dawn, before Neitzachama, before sunrise. We are going to dive in Shachar in another half hour, 40 minutes, whatever it was. And by Alos HaShachar, many hold you no longer could dive in Meirif. Already at that, you could dive in Meirif all night long. Ain't lo keva, the Mishnah says in Brachos. 
But when you hit Alos HaShachar, dawn, it's already somewhat the next day. That's a new day. That's already B'dyevet Yikidavet Shachar already. But Rav Shimon Barichai, the Hilgitana Rav Shimon, he's the day, he holds that you can still daven as long as it's not Neit Acham, as long as it's not sunrise. In that time, between Alos and Neit, you could still daven Meirev. The Gemara says, Could I listen to Rav Shimon that we could, we could rely on Rav Shimon in an emergency situation. And, and here we were, we were standing by the kever of Rav Shimon, and Rav Shimon's the day, or Rav Shimon's the opinion that you could still daven Meirev. I said to them, Look where we are, daven Meirev. And the two of them davened Meirev right there. I have a picture in my house of them davening Meirev. It was an incredible moment. And I was thinking about how special that moment was. It wasn't just the halacha and by Reb Shimon. If you know a little bit about Reb Shimon, you know a little bit about Zohar, you know a little bit about Panimus HaTorah, what Lag Bomer represents. It represents so much so that even in the darkest of hours, even when we feel that we're almost giving up on all hope, Kadosh Baruch Hu loves us. And there's always an aura, there's always a light, and Hashem is always by our side. And all of Zohar is teaching us this message. And all of Rav Shimon was about. Rav Shimon in the darkest of, of caves is learning the deepest of Torahs and bringing it to light. And I thought this story specifically, Meirev is that tefillah. Meirev is the tefillah that in the dark of night we dive and we connect to Hashem. In the darkest of hours. And here it was, not just Meir, it was Meir at the final moments that you could doubt Meir. That's Rav Shimon. That's Lag Bomer. Never give up. Never have Yish. Let's understand how we could build that within ourselves. Where do we get that from? And clearly it's from the Torah of Rav Shimon. It's from the Torah itself. But what is this Yantav of Lag Bomer all about? Because Lag Bomer is very strange. It's one of these very hidden Yamim Tovim. On the surface, most don't understand. If you'd ask someone, what are we celebrating Lag Bomer? It's very strange. What are we celebrating the death of a tzaddik? Do we have any other day where we really have such a celebration of a yard site? If Shimon died, let's dance. Really? Strange. Or how about... We know, you're thinking maybe, the Talmidim of Akiva, let's go back to that. The Talmidim of Akiva, so we're in Avelis, we're mourning 24,000 Talmidim that perished, they stopped dying. They stopped dying because they were all dead. They stopped dying because they finished dying out. It's not like, oh, and there were, half of them were dying in it. Baruch Hashem, they stopped dying and we had, no, 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 they were all dead. So let's celebrate, okay, maybe that Velus is over, so stop mourning. But we're going to dance and we're going to sing and we're going to celebrate a Yantav of Lag Bomer, really? What is it all about? So if you have to understand any Yantav, you have to go back to its origin. Sadduk teaches us the first of anything is the, is the Esod, is the foundation, is fundamental, what it's all about. So what's the origin of Lag Bomer? What's the first occurrence that happened that we know about on Lag Bomer? Because that could maybe give us a little bit of a, an understanding of what the day is all about. So Sam Sofer has a whole Torah where he develops that on Lag Bomer, in Chayir, that was the day that the Mun began to fall. 
that when we left Mitzrayim, that when we left Mitzrayim, we brought with us food. We had food with us. And that food, he has all cheshben, he explains, we had enough for 30 days. And then for three days, we went actually without food. And the mun began to fall in Lagbom. And what's the significance of the mun beginning to fall in Lagbom? What's the connection to Reb Shimon? Before we explain, there's one other connection I want to make, and that is that there's a deep connection that we see in, in Halacha between Lagbom and Purim. In fact, the day of the week that Lagboimer is going to always be is the Purim Shavar. We have Peleg Chai is the mnemonic to remember. Peleg, Purim, Lagboimer. Chai, the 18th day of year. Peleg, Purim, Lagboimer. If you remember, a lot of us were had this chus to be together in Purim. We had a beautiful, beautiful time in, in the oil. So Purim was on a Tuesday, right? You remember this year? Purim was on a Tuesday. I don't know how many remember Purim, right? It's one of the lachas of Purim. You're not supposed to remember Purim, right? Trust me, it was a Tuesday. It was like Monday night Tuesday. Like Boimer is going to be eating. Monday night Tuesday. It's always the same day. And if it's the same day, there has to be a deeper connection. Between Purim and Lag Boimer as well. So we have a connection between the month beginning to fall and we have a connection with Purim. What is that? So what is Lag Boimer? The way I've always understood Lag Boimer is the following. And when you understand Lag Boimer in the following way, you can understand also why it's the deepest achana for Kabbalah Satora, the Kedusha Slavi, the Berdichever, and others explain that really the, gro- the, the working on ourselves, the hard avoda of Latar, Mitumasenu of these days, is really in some level finished to Lag Boimer. Now we have 17 days of Toiv, Toiv Gematria, the last 17 days. In Toiv Torah, already at Kabbalah Torah. You know what happened on Lag Boimer? Lag Boimer was the day, yes, that Rav Shimon Bar Yechai passed away. It's his yurt said, and that's why there's such a gathering by his kever. But you know what else happened on that day? Rav Shimon Bar Yechai took his Talmudim. And he, he revealed much of the Zohar on that day, but he didn't just reveal it. He understood Ace Lasso's Lashem, the Zohar, Panimi Torah, his Torah Shabbat and until that point in time, that was not supposed to be written down. Torah Shabbat Peh was supposed to be Rebbe to Talmud, oral Torah. But if Shimon Bar Yechai understood that if it wasn't written down, it would be lost forever. We wouldn't have the Zohar today. And he told his Talmudim, not only did he give it over, he told them to write it down. And therefore, it's because of this day, Lag Boimer, that we have the Zohar, that we have Pedimus at Torah. But it's more than that. Who was one of the Talmidin of Shimber Yechai, Rabbi Yehuda Anasi? The Tan Rabbi Yehuda. And what did Rabbi Yehuda understand from his Rabbi Rabbi Shimon when he understood that Rabbi Shimon on the day of his Petira said to write down the Zohar? Years later, he understood that Ace Lassel's Hashem, I have to write down Mishnayas. Until the time of Rabbi Yehuda Anasi, Mishnayas was all oral. Why do we have Mishnayas today? Why do we have Torah Shvalpeh? Rabbi Yudanasi wrote it down. How did he know he was able to do that? Where did he learn that? From Rabbi Shimon Baichoy. On this day. And through Mishnayas, eventually we have the Gemara. All of Torah Shvalpeh, our whole lives that we live our lives by Torah, therefore is dependent on Lag Boimer. It's that day. It's that's the Yontif. And now he understands also that on this day, Rabbi Akiva, 
Rabbi Kiva's Talmidim. Are we celebrating that Rabbi Kiva's Talmidim finished dying? We're not celebrating that they finished dying because they all died out. But you know what else happens on that day? Chazal tells us, the Gemara teaches us so beautifully. The Rebbe Kiva, who just lost 24,000 Talmidim. We can't understand what that must have been like. I've unfortunately lost a few Talmidim in my life. You know what it is to lose a Talmud? You know, it's, it's losing a child. You don't forget it every day of your life. Twenty four thousand Talmudim. What would most people have done? Gone in a corner, crawled up into a ball and cried for the remainder of one's life. But what do we find, Rabbi Akiva? What do we find the perseverance of Rabbi Akiva? The greatness of Rabbi Akiva? On that very day he took five new Talmudim. He took Talmudim. Rabbi Shimon, he took Talmidim Rabbi Meir, he took Talmidim Rabbi Yehuda, he took Talmidim that was the continuity of Torah. Meaning at that moment, Rabbi Kiva was the Amada Torah, and he was giving that over to the next door, and that door was wiped out. And if Rabbi Kiva gave up and was misyayish because of that, you know what would have been? Torah would have been lost forever. We're celebrating not the loss of the 24,000 at that point. We're celebrating that he took five new Talmidim and we have Torah today because of that. So Lag Boimer is the day that we have to be thankful that we have Torah today. And what are we without Torah? We're nothing. We just celebrated Shabbos Kodesh. Was it not so incredible? Imagine what it would be not having Shabbos. Imagine what it would be not having Shabbos. Imagine you had all week and you didn't have Shabbos to look forward to. How dreadful that week would be. Wouldn't be a week. I wouldn't be able to live that week. How do we have Shabbos? Through Torah. We learn what Shabbos is. Without Torah, we don't even know what Shabbos is. Even if you only had Torah Shabbos, you'd know anything about Shabbos. What would you know about Shabbos? It's a holy day. All the Malachas are in Torah Shabbos. So we'd know about saw maybe, and not to make a fire. That's about it. That's about it. Lag Boimer is a yantiv to celebrate the fact that I have Torah, that you have Torah, that we have Torah, that we can live Torah. And if we can live Torah, it means we can live with the Rabbi That I have a relationship with Hashem. Because without Torah, how else do I relate to Hashem? How else do I have a relationship with the Ein Soif? If not for Torah, the Tanya tells the Pergdal that I can give the Rabbi Nishlom a hug. And now we understand why this was the day that the mud began to fall. Because Chazal teaches, The Torah was only given to the generation where the mud fell. Because the Kodesh wanted that generation to be free of any responsibility of Gashmias and be able to be absorbed in Torah. Many other ideas went out for right now. So on the day that we have to be thankful for Torah that we have, it's going to be on the day that was the foundation of receiving the Torah. And that as well, of course, is a con- connection to Purim. Because if you know a little bit about Purim, the Gemara and Shabbos, Peches, tells us that Purim, after the beautiful story of Purim, what's the lingering taste of Purim? Kimu Kibla, Yudu Kimu Kibla Kavar, another Kabbalah Torah. 
So the day of Torah, the day where we celebrate the fact that we have Torah. That's what we're celebrating. On Monday night, wherever you're going to be, and you're going to be celebrating and dancing and singing and, and just living Yiddishkeit in such a passionate, incredible way. Now you understand. We're going to be celebrating Torah. We're going to be celebrating Yiddishkeit. Without this day, we don't have it. That alone, Kaidish Kadash. But the question is, what does that mean t- to you? Because let's be real, MS, obviously Torah is different to men and to women. And there's a different chiv of limanat Torah. And for, for you, most of your life is not going to be, from this point on in your life, given over to studying Torah hours and hours a day. It's not your ikr tafkir. Say for men, what is, what is this all? Kabbalah, Zatoyer, Shavuos. What is the day of Lag Ba'omer, which is a day of celebration of Panemius HaTorah, a day of celebration of the fact that we have Torah Shabbal Peh. What does that mean for each and every one of you? The Zohar of Shem tells us, very famously, that there are 600,000 letters in the Torah. That's a famous acronym of Yisrael, world in Yisrael, Yisrael's Rashi Tevas. Yesh Shishim Ribai Oisil the Torah. Yesh Shishim Ribai Oisil the Torah. There are 600,000 letters in the Torah. And the Zohar tells us that not only are there 600,000 letters, but those are connected to 600,000 Nishamos of Kla Yisrael. 600,000 Ikr Nishamos of Kla Yisrael. We're not going to get into Gilgulim and reincarnations, all these ideas, but there's 600,000 Yisoidistic, fundamental, foundational souls of B'nai Yisrael. problem is, first of all, it's hard to understand. And seemingly it's connected to Pasuk and Parshish Bo that tells us there were 600,000 Jews that left Mitzrayim. Those are the 600,000, that's when we became a nation. Problem is, those are 600,000 Jews, those were men, and that didn't include women, or children. Okay, children will, will grow and we can understand, they couldn't be. But women, what about women? So you have to know another Zohar. And the Zohar tells us that a man without a woman is only half. And this is a makeup of an ish and isha together that make one neshama. And ultimately every neshama was initially one neshama that split, and that's what you're searching for in your, in your basharat. And therefore the 600,000 neshamos, each one is an ish v'isha in a certain sense. A man and a woman should be one. You know like the famous story of Ari Levine, right? You've all heard this story, and Amir Tzishem Yishem Yizuch had to live this story. Where Vari Levine walked into the doctor with his wife, his leg was hurting. And the doctor asks, what's going on? And what does Vari Levine says? Famously, you all know, right? Our leg hurts. Halavai, you should to live that. Your husband should feel that of you, you should feel that of your husband. It's MS, we're one. We're one. So that we can explain. The 600,000 letters, each one is a man and a woman as one. But before we, even, before, before we get to that, we should have asked a more fundamental question. I don't expect any of you to ever count the letters in the Torah. There are a lot. But if you did, there aren't 600,000 letters in the Torah. 
The Zohar is just incorrect. Not even close. They're actually about half. A little over 300,000. So what's the Zohar talking about? So there's different explanations. The Tanya, the Tanya, Shner Zaman of Liadi, on that trip I spoke about at the beginning, I was supposed to be by his cab I'll never forget. Changed my life forever. The Hilgabal Tanya explains that we know in the Torah there's no vowels, there's no nekudos. And there are letters that represent nekudos. If you've ever, if you've ever seen uh, and read through a ksuva, as Hashem should be zoich each and every one of you in the right time. So when you transliterate into, into Hebrew, there are certain letters that take the place of a vowel. For example, a segel, eh, is represented by an ayin. So, the Tanya explains that even though the letters are not physically there, but if you added all the letters of, of the vowels as well, the placement that they would take, that's when you'd have 600,000 letters. That's one way of explaining. Ryaku Kamenetsky gave a different explanation. You know, as if you look at a if you look at a letter in the Torah, the letters are made up of various letters. Like an aleph is a vav with two yuds. An aleph is made with a vav and two yuds. So if you added all of those, and you know, I, I read, I saw Tzadikim who after him, Mamish did a calculation these days with a computer, a chvesnesh, whatever it was, and so it was Mamish exactly 600,000 if you go like that. It's pretty incredible. But I want to give a different explanation today. There's a medrash that talks about the letters of the Torah. In Zavarim Rabbah, Amar Eish Lakish, HaTorah Shinit L'Lemosha, Oira Shal Eish Levana, Uksuva Be'eish Shechayra. The Torah has a cloth, it has a parchment of white fire. And it's written with black fire. And we have to understand that you can't have a letter without a cloth. You can't have the letter without parchments. You need the foundation to be written on. And that's considered the measure says white fire. You have black fire and white fire. Every single letter has to be completely surrounded by cloth. It's Allah. You can't have any letters touching in, in the Torah or its puzzle. Every letter is surrounded and that... that surrounding white parchment gives life to the letter and is just as crucial, is just as important. And maybe that's pshat. So every letter, if there are 300,000 letters, but there are really 600,000 letters, but each of those 600,000 letters each of those 600,000 letters we said has a man and a woman to it. Has a man, ish to ish. And maybe we could suggest the letters, the black letters that we call the letters represent the nisham of the ish, of the man. And the ish, levana, the white fire, the parchment is that of the woman. In fact, by the way, you can't make this up, this rem is 
if you take the gematra of ois, olive of tof, plus klaf, kuf lamid pei, it's 617, ois plus klaf, exactly gematra ish plus isha. Ish and isha is the ois and the klaf. Is a letter in the parchment, 617. In the right time. Each and every one of you is going to put on a white gown. And your chasin is going to wear a black suit. Okay, maybe a tux, I don't know how you're going to be, but lemaisin, it's going to be black. Trust me. And everything we do in, in Yiddishkeit, the minog has a tamladavar. It's not just because that's what happened. Because you're the Eish Levana. And your chasen will be the Eish Schaira. You're the white parchment and he's the black ink. But what exactly does that mean? I want to explain in two different ways. Because if we understand this, if you understand this. You understand your place in Torah. Your place in Kabbalah Torah. And for sure we'll be Mesvira as we prepare for Kabbalah Torah. But we're about to enter into Lag Boimer, the Yantav of Torah. So what does that mean for each and every one of you? On one level, I believe it's the following. And this will not be a chiddish, but you have to embrace and you have to believe. Because sadly, we live in a world that tries to confuse us and make us think that men and women should be one and the same. And we're not one and the same. And it's not better or worse, that's different. And it's important to embrace that and understand that. Yiddishkeit has it right, of course it has it right. It's the objective truth of the Rabbi Nishol. And understand that men and women are different. Both beautiful, both incredible, both equally important. So you know, by Az Yashir, when we're leaving Mitzrayim, the beginning of the Yemesir, we're singing away. And at the very end, in Parshat B'Shalach, after the men are singing, so the women want in, right? And Miriam leads the women in song, right? You all know this. So what's the Pasuk say? Very strange Pasuk. It says, Vatan lahem Miriam. Miriam answers them. Sus v'roch v'orama v'ayam. Vatan read the Pesukim in B'Shalach. No one was talking. No one asked a question. What is Miriam answering? You know what she was answering? The whole purpose of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, we see already in Rashi and we understand, was in order to leave Mitzrayim to go and receive the Torah. To go be Makabal the Torah. The women came to Miriam and said, what does that mean to us? Should we be singing? The Torah is for the men. The men are sitting and learning Gemara. The men are sitting and learning Yeshiva. We're not the ones. So is there what that we should be singing? Vatan lehem Miriam sus you know what Miriam answered? Of course we should be singing. Turn around and look. Sus v'roch You see, by the Mitzrim, by the Mitzrim, the Mitzri, the Egyptian, the one riding the horse, and the, the horse that holds up that Mitzri, the horse that's the foundation, they're both drowning. They're both being punished together. As one. So too, the one who learns Torah, and the foundation of Torah, the bias, has that same schar lahavdil. Let's sing together. Let's sing because we're, we're the foundation. 
for our husbands, for our children. We're going to make it possible for them to learn Torah, to connect to Torah. And that's chashiv, and that's kadosh. And that's what the white fire is. That's what parchment is. Parchment is the foundation that holds the letter. And that's just as important. You don't have the letter without the parchment. And don't take that as it sounds like a second class citizen. Chas v'sholom. Just as chashiv. Just as important. Just as important to be taking care of a home. And building a home, besimcha, with calm, that children could come back to and feel that and be able to learn Torah and have a husband who you support to be able, I don't mean physically he should be supporting you physically. I mean, I don't mean financially. I mean supporting the desire to be most nefesh, to wake up early, to leave late at night, and to sit and learn Torah. You're the foundation, you're the white fire. And it's just as much to celebrate in accepting that role. But Damis is, each and every one of you also has a deep cashier to the, to, the, to the words of Torah itself. And of course, to learn Torah is important for each and every one of you. And to live Torah, and to keep the halacha, and to learn Sifri Musr and Sifri Machshava, and to learn Tanakh is a chiv for each and every one of you. And it's something that's very real, and something that's going to lift you up throughout your entire lives even as you understand what your Ica role is. So what about all that? What does that mean? Because let's not negate that. And here I think there's another so that you have to understand what the white fire is, who each and every one of you will be in this world, who you are. There's a very famous story. There's a very famous story about two close friends. The Maggot of Trisk Rav Avram Tversky Zechus Adikas Racha, who was the son of Rav Matl of Chernobyl, and Rav Nachem Endel Kalish, the son of Rav Yitzchok Vorka. Rav Avram and Rav Mendel were best of friends. Best of friends. When they grew up, they became rebbes, and they lived far away. It was a half day's journey away from where they, where they each were rebbes, Vorka and Trisk. But they wanted to stay close. What do you do if you want to stay close if you don't have WhatsApp? You know, what do you do? Seriously. Remember years ago, for years and years, you know, when WhatsApp began, for, I don't began, already like a few years it was in, I didn't want to have WhatsApp because of all the time and all that it was, I'm even yavin, and I just had a regular phone with texting and zo. I didn't want WhatsApp. And then I had a Talmud who ran away from his parents. He left this whole note on his, on his wall in Hebrew. He wrote this whole crazy note. It wasn't, Baruch Shem, it wasn't suicidal, but it sounded like, he was like, now I have to leave, whatever, I don't want to get into the details. He might have wrote on his wall and we, and we couldn't find him. We had no idea where he went. So I got WhatsApp in order to find him because I knew Maybe he's out of the country somewhere. And then you couldn't get in touch with anyone without WhatsApp out of the country. And I found him through WhatsApp. And he, got, he, he went there to Zerol without telling anybody. He bought a ticket, went there to Zerol. Long story. Now he's still sitting and learning, whatever. That's all not the story. This was years ago. <laughs> Since then, I realized I need to have WhatsApp to be in touch with Tamidim and Tamidot and people in there to Zerol. So that was it. Since then, I had WhatsApp. But it's a true story. There's a few more details that we can't talk about. But anyways, I've made the Yavin. So what do you do? They used to, 
They decided they made a pact that every week they're going to write letters to each other. Every week they're going to write letters to each other. And every year of Shabbos, early in the morning, Rav Mendel would sit and write a letter. It would take him a long time. And he had his trusted Gabbai, Moishala, would take a half day's journey. He'd set up very early Friday and he'd bring it to, he'd bring it to Vorka. Sorry, he would, Rav Mendel would send it to Rav Avram Tursky, who was in Trisk, to the Trisker. And the Trisker would open the letter and he'd, he'd be crying, reading this letter every week. And he'd sit and with tears coming down his cheeks, take a good half hour, write a letter back. And he'd deliver back and forth. For years this went on. And every week when Moshe was carrying the letters, he had a lot of curiosity, like, what's ready? He really wanted to open it up and read them, but obviously he had respect for his, for his Rebbe, he didn't do it. And one week, his, his, he was so curious, it got the best of him. And he went off, he said, he, he made sure very, very carefully to open it up so he'd be able to seal it again, his Rebbe wouldn't know. And he opens up the letter, and it's blank. It's blank. He couldn't believe his eyes. And he brings it and he still delivers it. He delivers it to, to, to Rav Avram. And he was very mad, very upset. He's like, he's, go, he's spending every Friday of his life delivering blank pieces of paper. So he wants to see what happens. He delivers it and Rav Avram goes and, he, and he's crying, just like normally looking at it crying. You know. And he spends a while with a piece of paper to give back a letter. He sends back a letter. And this one, it didn't take him long on his journey. This one, he's quickly a little bit out and he has to check and he opens up and it's also blank. He couldn't believe what he saw. And he gets back to his rabbi, he gets back to Rav Mendel. And this was Shabbos, he didn't say a word at first, but the whole Shabbos, he was aggravated, he was sad. And Monte Shabbos, the Rebbe saw and knew what was going on. He probably knew the whole story. And he pulls Moshe aside and says, What's wrong? You looked sad all Shabbos. And at that point, he says, I, I can't hold back anymore. Rebbe, you're sending me every week. I, I'm sorry, I apologize. I know it was wrong. I opened the letters. Blank pieces of paper! What's going on? I'll read you the way it said, how he said it. Mendel did not flinch. The Torah explained as black letters written on white parchment. The black letters represent the words that are expressed, the mitzvahs, the laws, the morals, the love Hashem has for the Jewish people. The white, the blank spaces, however, contain the messages that are much deeper. This is how Hashem expresses His love for us, which is so great, and which bursts forth to such an extent that it cannot possibly put into words. Remendel's eyes welled up with tears as he looked at his Shamish Moishal, you must understand. When I correspond with my dear friend, we usually express our words through black letters. This week, however, our message was so deep, so intense. This week we wrote the white parchment. We expressed an emotion that transcends letters. That's each and every one of you. That's Nashim Sikanyos. It's true, there are all different types of Halachos, mitzvahizations, Malachim, Menashim, Peturos, you don't have the same Chiv and Talmud Torah. We men, we're not as holy, we're not as emotional. We don't have the same Bina, we don't have it that you have, so we need that, that type of Avodah. But the deeper depth, the emotional connection that you guys have, and that you'll give over to your children, and you'll share with your husband, 
That's the white parchment. That's what you're being macabre. It's so much deeper. It's so much. It's it's incredible. That's the panemius Torah. That's the Torah of Reb Shimon. That's Lagboimer. And if the Hasidish Rebbe's don't do it for you, I just want to read you just one last idea. And these are the words of, of the Rav, Rav Salavechik. So whatever world you come from, it's all one. Whatever world you come from, it's all one. Salavechik, he wrote this, he, he said this over, he wrote it, I believe. It was written, but it was a, originally it was a hasbid to the mother of, of his oldest son-in-law, Rebbe Rebecca Tversky, but he was talking about his own mother. Listen closely, Chavra. If all we did together was to, to read this for you, I believe there's nothing more Kaddish. I'll try to make copies for everybody. I should have already, because this is what you have to have on your wall. As Nashim Sikhanios. People are mistaken in thinking there's only one Mesorah and one Mesorah community. The community of the fathers, but it's not true. Shema b'ni Musar avicha what is the difference between these two Mesoras? What is, what is Musar Avicha? What is Torah Simecha? What, what is your Torah Simecha? Let us explore what learns, what learns from the father and what learns, one learns from the mother. One learns much from the father. How to read a text, the Bible or the Talmud, how to comprehend, how to analyze, how to conceptualize, how to classify, how to infer, how to apply. One also learns from father what to do and what not to do. What is morally right and what is morally, morally wrong. Father teaches the son the discipline of thought as well as the discipline of action. Father's tradition is intellectual, moral one. That is why it's defined with musr, which is the biblical term for discipline. What is Torah Simecha? What kind of Torah does the mother pass on? I admit that I am not able to define precisely the role of the Jewish mother. Only by circumscription I hope to be able to explain it. Permit me to draw upon my own experiences. I used to have long conversations with my mother. In fact, it was a monologue rather than a dialogue. She talked and I happened to overhear. What did she talk about? I must use an halachic term in order to answer this question. She talked, I used to watch her arranging the house in honor of a holiday. I used to see her recite prayers. I used to watch her recite the Sedra every Friday night. And I still remember the nostalgic tune. I learned from her very much. Most of all, I learned that Judaism expresses itself not only in formal compliance with the law, but also in living experience. She taught me that there's a flavor, a scent, and warmth to mitzvos. I learned from her that the most important thing in life, to feel the presence of the Almighty and the gentle pressure of His hand resting upon my frail shoulders. Without her teaching, which quite often were transmitted to me in silence, I would have grown up a soulless being, dry and insensitive. The laws of Shabbos, for instance, were passed on to me by my father. They are part of Musar Avicha. The Shabbos, as a living entity, as a queen, was revealed to me by my mother. It's part of Torah Simecha. The father knew much about Shabbos. The mother lived the Shabbos, experienced her presence, and perceived her beauty and splendor. The fathers taught generations how to observe the Shabbos. Mothers taught generations how to greet the Shabbos, how to enjoy your 24-hour presence. The father teaches... The black fire. The mother teaches Eish Levana. The white fire. The feel, the scent, the flavor, the warmth. We're one. Ish Isha's Osen Klaf. 
And each and every one of us, we're going through Yemei Svira, and we're going to be Makabal Torah again. And we're going to have a lot of Boimera Yantav of celebration, the continuity of Torah today. Don't ever forget what it is to each and every one of you. You're the foundation for your husbands, for your children, but you're much more than that. You're the sense, you're the flavor, you're the emotion, you're the feeling. You're the Musar, you're not the Musar Avicha, you're the Torah Simecha. And it says, Shema you have to listen to Musar Avicha. Al Titush, do not forsake Torah Simecha. So, that's the Shemizbarach, each and every one of us. We have a Heilagayantav of Lagboyimer, Heilagayantav of Shuas, Heilagayantav of Kabbalah Torah. But don't just, don't just go through the motions. Each and every one of you should be Zoicha to live it with the flavor, with the scent of the Rav's rabbit mother. And you should give that over to your children, to your husbands, to build a bias full of simple and brachos. shared the secret that many years ago in a base Medrash in Queens we learned together it's come out 20 years come out 20 years I don't know I don't know if what our reaction would have been if somebody would have come to us and said 20 years later we'd be here but the Emma says that, that I owe I owe Rav Kohn Tremendous debt of gratitude, not only for the Torah that we learned in that time, but because of the conversation that we had in that kufa of our lives. Really, we were learning halacha together. We had a conversation about the, I don't even know if you remember this, about the nature of Pneumius HaTorah and the need for people in this generation to be learning a different type of Torah. And I was, at that time, coming from a, I would not say just a Litvisha background, but a Misnagdisha background, and I was, I was not interested in the world of Hasidus on any level. I didn't know what any of the words meant, I didn't know how to communicate those ideas or listen to them. Cohen was coming from a much more robust, rich background in this area. And he said, you should come with me to, uh, to Shai Stern's house. Because there was a, a, a Rebbe who was coming who was not famous at the time. And he would come to, to Shai Stern's house, just a stone's throw away from here. And his name is uh, Rebbe Ephraim Waxman. And and there was maybe 10, 15 of us sitting around the dining room table in Woodmere with a frying waxman. And I remember being so captivated and so taken in by the, by the allness of that Torah. And in many ways, in many ways, the journey, the journey that I've been on since then is so much different perhaps than the journey that I would have been on 
and my chavrusa not shared with me a whole new world of Torah. And so, although it's taken us 20 years to get together to do this, it's, it's certainly appropriate that we're here together on Matzei Shabbos, and especially a stone's throw away within the, within the fences of, of Eish Kodesh, where we sat so many times here in Rav Weinberger, share with us words of Torah. This word, though, Pnimius Hatayra, is thrown around today. It's very often a misunderstood word. What does it mean, the inside Tyra? A chaver uh, of mine, also a very dear chaver of mine, and a tremendous tamachachim, but somebody who's not, not moved by this type of Tyra, he, he asked, he said, I don't understand what this word Pnimius Hatayra means. What does it mean, Pnimia Satara? I know of Torah. I don't know Pnimia Satara. What does Pnimia Satara mean? It's like uh, people say a vart today, and they go, I'll share with you Pnimia Satara. Like, say a Rashi. Like, is that Pnimia Satara? I'll grow up with Rashi. What's, does it, for it to be Pnimia Satara, does there need to be a gematria? Does it need to be, does it need to be a story? A beautiful story. But what, what constitutes... Uh, a Rebbe in Mavaseret said, I want to share with you Chassid HaShemaisa. And then he told a story about the Chavetz Chaim. Is it called Pnimi Satar if it's from the Gra? Is it called Pnimi Satar if it's from the Chassam Seifer? What makes something Pnimi Satar? Do you need to go to Mikvah to learn Pnimi Satar? How long do your payas have to be in order to... Which shir in YU do you have to go to for it to be considered Pnimi Satar? These are the questions that we're all wondering. So I want to share with you some Pnimiya Satara <laughs> to perhaps understand what this word means. And of course, we're in, we're in Matzei Shabbos, we're in Malava Malka, and though the hour is very late, and I, my intention is not to speak for more than a couple of minutes, but we could still take with us some of the Torah that we learned this Shabbos to bridge the gap between this week and like Ba'imer and the coming weeks. As Rav Kohn already mentioned, Lach Ba'imer has the beginning of the Haskala, the Nitzites already of, of Kabbalah Satira is already present on Lach Ba'imer, which is coming up. So in this week's parsha, we see that it says, Emor Va'amarta. I'm sure everybody heard a million drashos this Shabbos on Emor Va'amarta. Rashi says, Lahazir Gedoyle Malakatan. We have an obligation, the Kohanim have an obligation to teach their children that they can't become Tamei Meis, that they're Kohanim, that there's something unique about them. And there's a double lotion of Emor Amarta. So what's the difference between Emor Amarta? So listen to this word, the Balei Chassidus explain as follows. The Sefer Yitzira, which is the, one of the earliest, if not the earliest, Kabbalistic text that we have, says that there's three yesodas to everything in this world. Eish, Mayim, and Ruach. Of course, we all grow up knowing that there's really not three yesodas. There's four yesodas. There's Eish, Mayim, Ruach, and Afar. So Rav Moshe Kardavero, the Ramak, one of the great Mekubalim, explained that Afar, the fourth yesod, the fourth fundamental element that makes up creation, is not listed in Sefer Yetzira because Sefer Yetzirah was expressing the revealed elements of this world, Eish, Mayim, and Ruach. 
But afar is the element that makes up all other elements. And so in Sefer Yetzirah, it was only expressing the three elements of creation that we see. But of course, afar is the, it's not the quintessential, but it's the essential element that makes up all other elements. There's a even deeper element, which we're not going to discuss tonight, but there's a deeper element called Huli, the Ramban mentions, an element that even makes up afar, but that's not for tonight. So listen to this word, speaks this out, but it's, it's in other places also. That Emor is Rashi Tevos, Eish Mayim and Ruach. And when HaKadosh Baruch Hu instructs the Kohanim to teach their children, he says Emor. What do they have to teach? The Halach. There's such a thing called Halach. This is what we have to do. It's the revealed Torah. This is the will of God in a revealed fashion. But the transmission of Eish Mayim and Ruach has to come when you have not only Eish, Mayim, and Ruach, but there's Amarta, there's a Tav. What is that Tav adding? So if you look at a Tav, a Tav has three lines. Those three lines of a Tav represent Machshava, Dibar, and Maisa. The three Levushim, the three expressions, how all, we all express ourselves in this world through the way we think, the way we feel, the way we act. But in the middle of the Tav, there's a, there's a Nakuda, there's a Dat. And that Nakuda represents, we'll see two things, it's really two sides of the same coin, represents anivas, humility, and it also represents the essence of all things. And that's really one movement, because to be humble in Yiddishkeit doesn't mean to be self-effacing. It doesn't mean that a person walks around being a nothing. It means to be aligned with reality, the essence of all things. So humility and essence come together. Humility, the, the midah of anivus, is always associated with afar. Like we say, v'nafshi ka'afar lakol So the letter Taf says that inside of the machshava dibur and maisa, there's an essential point, that if we humble ourselves to this essential point, it's the revelation of the truth of a thing. That the machshava dibur and maisa are really expressions of oneself. But there's a self that's deeper than any of our expressions. So emor va'amarta means as follows. Emor is what I communicate to you. Amarta is expressing that which cannot possibly be expressed. It's a communication of something deeper. For example, I, I come in my life, I grew up uh, five minutes from here in a place called Harborview. Some people are from Lawrence. So I, I grew up in Harborview. Regular five towns kid, I went to Hafter until I was expelled from Hafter. And then, you know, you grow up in a home. I, my parents are Balai Chuva, they're wonderful people. My father, my father never had the opportunity to go to yeshiva. So my father never really learned to block Gemara. It's not because he doesn't love Hashem, he does. He just didn't grow up with the same kalim that he gave to me. I'm so, I'm so blessed that my, my parents sacrificed so much to become lovers of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the way that they did. But I grew up in a home where my father used to say, a little learning never hurts, so let's learn as little as possible. <laughs> this is my rebellion. And, uh, and, and yet I grew up in a home 
where I knew that my parents loved Hashem very much. And I'll share with you, I think, I was thinking about it, when was the first time that I saw, there's probably many examples of this, but when was the first time that I saw some expression of the essence in my home? So now, you know, now when you come to Eretz Yisrael, so you land from a beautiful dreamliner onto, onto the tarmac of Eretz Yisrael and you come right into Ben-Gurion, which is a palace. I'm old enough to remember when the physical plane itself was not as, certainly as comfortable as it can be today. The stewardesses more or less haven't changed, but the, <laughs> but the seats were much less comfortable back then. And it used to be that you deplaned not into a not into a, a tunnel that takes you right into the airport, but it used to be, do you remember, we used to go down the stairs and we used to get off on the hot tarmac of Eretz Yisrael. And I was eight years old and it was my first time ever going to Eretz Yisrael. And my father is leading us down the stairs and you're carrying your, your carry-ons and I'm a very little boy. And my father gets down on, on his hands and knees and he kisses the ground of Eretz Yisrael. And, and he says to me, this is what we do when we come to Eretz Yisrael. We kiss the ground of Eretz Yisrael. And we got down and we kissed the ground of Eretz Yisrael. I think today, I, if, I'm, if I'm not incorrect, I think the, when, when they bring the Nefesh B'Nefesh flights and they don't bring them to the tarmac, they don't bring them to the, to the area that we have, they, you still get off and you kiss the ground of Eretz Yisrael. The Nefesh B'Nefesh flights, I think, still have that. But Chaval, Chaval that we have such a, such a modern airport, Chaval that we have such an updated airport, because... You girls, when you came to Eretz Yisrael, I imagine it would be very strange if you kissed the, that metal runway that they have. It's not because it's not sanitary, just because it would be a strange thing to do. A, a child grows up seeing his father kiss the ground of Eretz Yisrael. It communicates not the halacha, it communicates the essential point of the halacha. It tells us that there's, that there's a commander behind the commandment. I think today that Baruch Hashem we're doing a much better job trying to communicate these things. I remember when I was in high school, I went to, uh, I went to Rambam. I don't know if any of you have ever been in Rambam, but the shul in, in Rambam downstairs, in the old, before they moved buildings, so there was like a wall, but the wall had... Um, had like these like sort of crooked slats. And so you wanted to get a seat against the wall so that during davening you could fall asleep. But you didn't want to get a seat that was by the crooked slats because then, you know, it's like you want a seat on the plane that's like right next to the wall of the plane. You don't want to sit by the window where you're like sort of falling into the window. So you have to get the right seat. So I was very mocked to come early to davening so that I could get the right seat so that I could fall right asleep. And, yeah, but, I, but I was always on time, so I got a good grade. And, um, and we, however, we were talking during davening. I had a very sweet Rebbe. And uh, I don't remember when we were talking. It could be we were talking even in the middle of Shemona Esra. I don't remember Bechla. And the Rebbe came over with a Sefer, because there are some Rebbeim, they snap, they snap at you. Do you know this, this move? Like when people are talking, they think it's a good idea to... <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I should serve Hashem. I apologize. You know, like, as if that's somehow going to work. So this Rebbe was a very good Rebbe. He was a very sweet man. We Pasha tortured him. And he, uh, he came over with a Sefer. One of these, like, tefillahs for him. 
And I remember he, he sat me down and he, he said to me, Matt, I, I grew up as Matt Berg, he said, um, I don't know if you know, but it's, it's us sir, to speak during davening at this time. And as a 15-year-old machutzov, I looked at him, I said, you know what's sad? You really think that this is going to help? You really think, like, you think the problem is that I'm like, I don't know that it's usher to talk in davening at this time. The problem is not that I don't know it's usher to talk during davening. The problem is, if you've been paying attention, I haven't been davening. Like, and why should I daven? And I wasn't, it, wasn't like a, it wasn't like a, why should I daven? I don't believe in God thing. It was like, a, I'm just not holding in that space in my life. And what I was really saying, and maybe I didn't have the words to articulate it back then, is I'm just not going to read the words of a book every single day. I'm just not going to do that. It was, there, was a, there was a failure on a systemic level, and I think probably a lot of us grew up with this. There was a failure on a systemic level. We did an awesome job at communicating the Amar, all the Halachas, all the Gemaras, the, to learn Lamdas. I grew up with all of those things. The thing that I was missing was the Rebunish which seems to be important if you're speaking about a religion with a God. And there was no communication of that whatsoever. There was, no, there was no seeing a father get down and kiss the tarmac in the everyday experience of Yiddishkeit in my life. I wonder if Cohen was reading from Rav Soloveitchik before. You know, there's this experience today of Rav Soloveitchik as this, like, cerebral God, you know, who came up with these massive chidushim. But if you speak to the Talmidim that were there, the, the sheer was alive, there was a vibrancy, there was a passion, there was a clear communication of a Mesora that they were learning. It wasn't just a Rashi, but they were, they were with Rashi himself in the sheer. When we speak about Pnimiya Satira, what we mean to say is the communication of the essence of the matter. I once heard from Uv Weinberger that he said, I think he said this many times since, I once heard from Weinberger that he said that a couple came to his office. A couple came to his office and um, apologize. A couple came to his office and, and they were fighting and Rav Weinberger was was making shalom. And they, whatever was going on in their lives and no matter what the husband said about all the things that he was doing for his wife she, she wasn't she wasn't she wasn't happy with it it wasn't working and finally Rav Weinberger turned to the wife and he said what are you looking for like what's your husband not doing he seems to be a great guy he, he's making a parnasa and he's taking the kids to school and he's doing carpool and he's changing the light bulbs and all the things like what, what's bothering you so much and she said to him Rabbi, I didn't marry him to take out the garbage. I married him because of the way that he looked at me under the chuppah. And when's the last time that he looked at me that way? In other words, in the halacha shabot, he was a phenomenal husband. In the, in the, this is what a husband needs to do. He did a great job. But the panemius of the marriage was missing. It's like so many of us. That we show up to Davin. I was feeling today. I was, I'm, I'm exhausted. I was traveling from Eretz Yisrael. I was davening today. At some point in my davening, I was like, "I'm like Eifo ani ba'olam right now. Like I'm, I'm not like I'm not in it." And there was a, a chalishus of like I was in a good place, and now I feel like maybe I'm not. And then I was like, "You get in your head. You get in your head, and you like you lose sight of 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 what you're doing. You lose sight of who you're communicating with. You do an excellent job doing what you're supposed to. You do a sometimes less of a good job communicating with the people that you love." When we speak about Pneumia Satoira, when we speak about the, 
the feminine role in Tyra, as Rav Kohn said so beautifully, when we speak about the feminine role of Tyra, what we often mean is the, and again, this is not chas v'shalom to, to say that one is more or less important than the other. Of course, I don't mean that, and I don't think anyone thinks that I mean that. But when we speak about the feminine role of Tyra, what we mean to say is that feminine need to communicate the point of essence that exists. That, that a man could be very happy, in theory, doing what he's supposed to do. Give him a job, and he could do the job. But my wife always reminds me, and she's always like, okay, but let's not lose sight of the essential point that we're trying to communicate to each other, to our children, in our lives, to our communities. The, the whole vart of Rabbi Shimon, of, of looking on the inside, of seeing what Torah is really about, it's not chas v'shalom to say on any level, and it, this needs to be expressed today because I think there's a movement today, a little bit of like pnimius without the chitzanius. There's a little bit of a, yeah, but I, I sometimes, you should know I'm so deeply connected. Okay, it has to translate into action just because you love your wife very much or you love your husband very much. It's a nice thing to say, but we also have to do carpal. It's, like, it's important. Imagine like a, a wife says to her husband, like, I asked you to do so many things today, you didn't do any of them. And he looks at her and he goes, don't you know how much I love you? <laughs> like, that's a beautiful sentiment. The pnimius requires the chitzanius, the chitzanius requires the pnimius, as Rav Kohn said, the black fire, the white fire, it's all one zach. But the aside of Lag Ba'imer, this, if you will, the, the pnimius of Kabbalah Satara, it comes before Kabbalah Satara, not because it's like just a, a prelude. It's not just an introduction to a book, but it's the essence of the thing that in 17 days will, will culminate afterwards in the expression of the revealed Torah. But the essential point already comes beforehand. It's, it, the Torah, Shvuas, is birthed from Lagba Eimer. It's nurtured from Lagba Eimer. There's a point of essence where everything flows from. There's a, there's a redemptive element that's happening in the world today, and it's a good thing that's happening. There's a redemptive element that, that we're no longer satisfied with just the chitzainius. And it's, it's this revolution that's happening, if you're paying attention, and I think people are, it's happening on a, on a global level. It started, of course, as it always does with the kids. The kids inspire the adults in so many ways. The kids rebelled in a, in a very holy way, and they said, we're not going to do this anymore. And it required Rebbeim to, to rethink the way that we teach. It required shul rabbis to, to rethink the way that they spoke from the pulpit. There was a time in our lives, in Rav Kohn and our, like when we were growing up, it was a normal thing for a rabbi to get up and give a political discourse on what was happening in America in front of the Aaron Kodesh. And because of this revolution of we were no longer satisfied with with our Rabbanim being that way. We wanted somebody to talk to us about real things and about Hashem. And, and so new Rabbanim came into the world and they taught a generation of educators that are now educating you. And as Hashem, you'll do the same for your children. There's a, a sense now that we need to communicate something deeper. And the, these kids that are saying, I'm not going to daven unless you tell me who I'm davening to, they're right. They're right. They deserve to be listened to. They deserve to be validated and affirmed. And we have, Baruch Hashem, in so many ways, advanced the chinuch. You know, the, you have the old school, like, sort of, like, anger that sometimes you hear. Like, yes, but kids these days, they don't know as much. I'm like, Congratulations, you've made an excellent point. But, Lamaise, you know, you know what they do know? They, they do know that they won't be satisfied with just knowing something. 
without knowing what it's for. Yiddishkeit is not a utility. It's not a checklist. It's a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And that relationship has to have the panemius. If it doesn't have the panemius, so then what are we doing? Just because you're a good boy or a good girl who could do the right things in high school and get into the right seminary and then go to the right place afterwards and get the right degree in whatever therapy that is, each one to their... Everyone has their own therapy that they... I met a girl this Shabbos that didn't say therapy. I was in a spall for her. I was like, wow, what a creative soul. <laughs> Every other person that I met was an occupational th- therapist, a physical therapist, an aqua therapist, which is really a lifeguard, and a horse therapist. It used to be we went horseback riding in West Hempstead. I didn't know that there was a, like a therapy for it. And that poor horse. Imagine that horse going to therapy, saying all day long I have to, I have to hold these people's problems. Like it's a... So somebody's able to do the right thing. Somebody's able to say, I did the right thing. And that's considered somehow a success. As if, as if the person who's struggling and who's searching for something deeper is not equally or perhaps more of a success. It's a, it's a distorted way of thinking. And, and Baruch Hashem, a lot has changed. And Baruch Hashem, it'll continue to change. This, this movement of not, not of doing and achieving, but of being and becoming... It's not only in our community, it's not only here in Woodmere and in Eretz Yisrael, Yushalayim. It's in the entire world. If you look at the world today, the world is changing. People are asking themselves, like, what is the value of this ambition that we have? And it's true that on the one hand, we see that people are building bigger things and fancier things, and there seems to be this incredible expression of chitzainius in the world. But there's also like a snapback that's occurring because all these people that are building these monstrosities all seem to be very empty and are coming and searching and saying, what's it all for? What are we looking for? What are we moving towards? There's, there's this movement on the part of their children. That ch- I was sitting with someone today, Mamsh today, and he told me, he said, this son that I had, he's the one that took the most unique path. I don't want to give away too many details, but I can't say he didn't go to Yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael. And then when he didn't go to yeshiva, he, but he, he did go to some sort of program in Eretz Yisrael. And then from that program, he went to one yeshiva, and that yeshiva didn't work, and he was only there for a couple months. And then he went to a different yeshiva. And Lamaisa is sitting and learning in Beitar now. And he's been sitting and learning in Beitar for the last three and a half years. And I was talking to his father today, and his father said, yeah, he'll probably be learning there for the rest of his life. And this kid was the failure of the family. And all the other kids that were the good kids that went to the right yeshivas, like they're all looking at their brother now, and their brother has something that they didn't have because he took a completely different path. There was a snapback. He was, he was in that place, and from that place there was a lack, and from that lack there was a revelation of the essence, and from that revelation of the essence there was an explosion of Tyra. And that makes sense. That's the way it always is. And so, Ba'ez Hashem, and I'll finish with this. My bracha to everybody is is to continue doing what you're doing, which is working. And it's changing the community, and it's changing our families. And we look around, the revolution has not only already been successful, the, the tidal wave of this revolution has already, already hit its peak and is now coming crashing down. And it's a beautiful thing to see. And we owe you so much, Akar Satov. The fact that at 11, almost 11.20 at night on the Matzei Shabbos, we have a room full of people that are saying, we want more. We're not satisfied. We want to understand our role. We want to understand our place. Your place is to give the essence of all things to the world. And if you're, if you're married to a man, 
who expresses himself in the revealed way, then it's your job to give over the Masorah, not necessarily of the rules of the relationship, but of the essence of the relationship. So, you know, when you marry a woman, you don't know, you don't know what you're getting. Even though I knew my wife for many years before we got married, which I'm not allowed to say publicly, but I somehow do anyway. But you, don't, you don't really know what you're getting. You don't know what it's going to look like. I want to share with you something in my house that I think my children will be talking about in 30, 40 years from now. Every Erev Shabbos, I enjoy this, my favorite part. Every Erev Shabbos, I have, now can I Nahara, only, only two kids left that are, that are small. I have, uh, I have an eight-year-old, though she's very macro that I say almost nine. She's, she's eight and three quarters now. I'm 42 and three quarters now. So the, uh, we stopped counting at a certain point. So I have a, an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. And there's a little niggin that my wife sings with them before, before candlelighting. And it starts off with like a little cheer. It's like a little color word cheer. Like, are we ready? And they go, yes, we are. And she did it with all the kids growing up. And she's like, are we ready? And they go, yes, we are. And she goes, for what? And they go, for Neros. <laughs> and, they, and they sit there and they watch my wife light. And it takes quite some time. And, and they're waiting. They're waiting to get their Shabbos treat. They're waiting to go next door to, to the rich family where they hang out every Friday night. For those of you that know the riches, I share a wall with, with the riches. And Rav Rafi lives right across the street, so there's a little chevra of all these children that have been growing up together, this like seminary yeshiva bubble type thing. <laughs> Mrs. Yudin is one block up, so her kids are up the stairs. Anyway. And, and I wonder, I wonder if, I wonder if in 30 years from now, I wonder if my children will not be telling the story of are we ready? That there was a, an avira in the home around Neros, of watching a mother who sat and davened for her children every single week. It could be that at the Shabbos table I'll say a Dvar Torah and maybe there'll be some level of sophistication to it, but I promise you this, if my children, Bez Hashem, come out and so far, it seems okay. So far I have one daughter who's married and she's from. I have another daughter who's too from. <laughs> and she, Bez Hashem, will have her own journey, though it seems to be that I am the for a modern orthodox father but <laughs> perhaps group therapy will happen at a different time but if my children end up being anything I promise you this it won't necessarily be because of the sophistication of the Dvartar that I said at the Shabbos table but it'll be because there was a mother who made their house a fun place where there was Yerushamayim and Ruchnius and the Pnimius of Shabbos if my children ask me what the Halacha of Shabbos is perhaps I can tell them but if my children want to know what the majesty of Shabbos is, that I think is something they'll certainly have learned from their mother. And my bracha to you is that you do that for your children, to give over the panemius of Yiddishkeit in such a way that we can communicate it to the next generation. So I think we have a couple of questions. Who's, you're moderating. What a wonderful thing. Okay, so there's a, I think just a couple of questions that we'll try to answer.
son, um, especially says, can you still do complete teshuva if you have never and hopefully will never be put in the same or similar situation of a particular video again? How do you overcome the guilt, shame, regret that you, that you still feel that because you will never be in that situation again, you feel like there's something still lacking in your full teshuva? And what are the actual practical steps in overcoming not just the regret, but the shame in a particular Avira, and finally letting go, particularly when you will likely never feel that sense of doing a complete teshuva? <laughs> I can read that again. <laughs> we got it, we got it, I think. Yeah. I think, yeah? I think I understand. <laughs> I'm sure if Cohen will uh, will say something more profound, so I'll just say something very quickly. I think there's a there's an amuna that we have to have that the Rambam tells us that that uh, that complete tshuva occurs when the situation happens again. So that means that it will happen again. But we don't always know what happens again means. So sometimes we think like. Okay, well, I'm not going to be 16 years old in, in, in Hafter again. So what does that mean? I'm, when am I going to have the opportunity to do tshuva for that thing? So I don't, know, I don't know when we say that you're going to be in that place, in that time, and it's going to happen again. I don't, I don't know if it means perhaps what we thought it meant growing up, which is going to be exactly the same. But it does seem to me that we repeat that which we don't repair, and that life gives us many opportunities to repair, and if you pay attention to the panemius of what's happening, it could be that you are being presented with that situation again, albeit with different external trappings. So, first of all, I would say that when the Rambam says we have the opportunity to do complete tshuva, that we'll have the opportunity to do complete tshuva, and it's our responsibility to pay attention that this new thing that came up is really the old thing. It's, an, it's a new thing, it's an old thing. It's, it, it, back then it was in this relationship, now it's in this relationship. Back then it was in, 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 in Lawrence, or in Woodmere, and now it's in Beit Shemesh, or Yerushalayim. But it's, it's also, it's just wearing different clothing. In terms of the shame, I, I just want to say this. I think it's, it's been said many times before, and I can, I can just say it very quickly. Shame, shame, on the one hand, is getting a bad rap today. And that's not a good thing. And on the other hand, shame is also exceptionally destructive today, perhaps now more than ever. So I had the opportunity to have Kohn set up that uh, now somebody who I, I hope to become a chaver with, this, uh, this fellow Menachem Poznansky, who you sent my way. So, so he, he spoke recently on the idea of shame being something that helps a person move forward. That when we are uncomfortable with something that's happening inside of us, that's a good thing that tells us that we might be betraying our highest values, that this might not be the greatest expression of self, and that that uncomfortable feeling is okay. Today there's this feeling, I can't, I can't deal with anything uncomfortable. It's not true. We are exceptionally resilient, we're exceptionally big, we can deal with uncomfortable feelings, and so if you're doing something and you feel like, like, wow, this is, this is not great, so then good. That's a good thing. It's an inner communication. But, as Rebbitz and Brene Brown has taught us, the, uh, the, what most of us are doing is associating our actions with our inner self. And we're saying, I am that bad thing that I did. 
And so there's a toxic shame that exists in the world today, which is, I am unworthy of love and connection because of this Avera that I did. And that is, of course, destroying people. It's destroying people of all ages. It's destroying the elderly. It's destroying middle-aged people. It's certainly destroying kids. This, this notion has forced Rebbeim and teachers to rethink the way we speak about halacha, that of course we should speak about halacha in a way where we're definitive, but at the same time, to speak about halacha in a way that creates space for imperfection and an inner sense of compassion for those that have not done exactly what they should. Baruch Hashem, again, another revolution that's happening today is that Rebbeim and teachers are presenting themselves as more human to their tamidim, to their tamidot, and so whereas perhaps when you and I grew up, the, uh, the feeling was our Rebbeim never did any Averas, which is, of course, it wasn't true back then, but that was the communication that occurred. And so any kid that did an Avera felt like, okay, I'm not perfect like my Rebbe. And there was a, that's a toxic sense of shame that's exceptionally destructive. I remember very well a, a Talmud, who's now Bar Hashem, a, a person in Kirov, I remember when he said to me, he was crying, he said, I'll never be able to go into Chinachar Kirov, which was his dream. It was embarrassing enough for him to be able to say that his dream was to go into Chinachar Kirov. That's not a simple thing for an 18-year-old boy to say, but he got it out, but he was crying that he'll never be able to do it because he ate Burger King. He once ate Burger King. So he said, I'll never be able to go into Chinach because he ate Burger King. And my Rebbeim never did an Avera, let alone eat Burger King. And I wanted to share with him, I know your Rebbeim, and I remember when one of your Rebbeim went to McDonald's. Which, I think, from what I understand, tastes more delicious than Burger King. I've never had either. But there was a sense, there was a sense, that my father used to tell me White Castle was better than all of them. But the... <laughs> wouldn't know. There's a sense today that, that I'm a terrible person because I did an Avera. And that, of course, is, is not true. It's, it's for sure Mavur in the Rambam. There's many, many rias to this. And it's spoken out clearly in the Rabbeinu Yonah and Shari Tshuva that Tshuva is a process, that incomplete Tshuva is also a very partial, meaningful Tshuva. And that until a person has had the opportunity to complete Tshuva, they're by derech, and that, that derech towards Tshuva is a very meaningful thing. So to whoever the questioner was, I just want to share with you that number one, in time, you'll have your opportunity to complete tshuva. And number two, until you have your opportunity to complete tshuva, you're on the path towards tshuva, which is not nothing. And number three, stop it. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. You're already beautiful. You're already wonderful. The imperfection is already giving birth to exceptional light. The fact that you asked the question is a simon of how much tshuva has already happened. Please treat yourself kindly and gently and with compassion as you go through this process. Remorseful a little bit, all I, everything Rebberg said, Emish Bamito. Go backwards because how you ended. I want to. I want to continue with that that episode of shame because I think that's something that all of us connect to on some level. And it's easier to understand the answer to that to that question as a parent. But as children, you'll understand as well, and that is when you, when you're a parent. You have unconditional love for each child. And children mess up. Children make mistakes. Parents make mistakes. But there's such deep ava, such deep love, that a child makes a mistake, they're the quickest people in this world that you forgive and forget. With the moments, like it never even happened. Because there's such deep love. Ava And that's a father to a child, a mother to a child, a child to a parent the same way. 
you all know, your parents have also made mistakes. I've made many mistakes in my life to my children. And I know there's such ava that's so deep that it's so quickly forgiven, forgotten. And therefore, we have to believe and know the Eivishter loves us. The Eivishter is a Venus Shabbat He's our Tata and Hemel. He's not just a Melech and a Dayan. He's our Father. He loves each and every one of us so, so, so deeply. And yes, we mess up. And yes, it's important. We're by Shanim, and it's important to use shame in a proper way to grow. But that's it. And then drop it. When it's unhealthy, it means we're not believing that. Because if we truly believed Hashem loved us so much, so He's forgiven and forgotten. He's moved on. Hashem loves you. Hashem loves you more than we could ever understand what love is. It's over. Finished. That's number one. Although that's the most important thing in the world. To, to, if, we all, if we just came together for that tonight, it's, I think, well worth the whole evening. To just remember that, because we forget that at times. We all do. As far as the Rambam, just to... Explaining two other ways that maybe Mefarshim explained the Rambam. The first of all, the Drushas Aran explains like this within the Rambam, and he explains that the Rambam, when he talks about Tshuva Gemura, is not necessarily talking about reaching a level of Tshuva. He talks about levels of Tshuva, and you don't need Tshuva Gemura to have complete forgiveness from what was done wrong. When he talks about Tshuva Gemura, the Drushas Aran, it's an understanding. Of we have two elements of tshuva. There's tshuva to get rid of the veira as if it's never happened before. And that one can do without that level of tshuva gemura being in the exact same circumstance. You don't need to be You don't need to be in that. You moved on. You felt bad. You regretted. You've, you haven't done it. Tshuva in every level as if it never happened. Wiped away. Tshuva gemura is a level of also the tshuva that's a mitzvah, of gaining also positive credits. Most often we don't have shame from not having a positive credit. We have a lot of mitzvahs we could do. So you didn't do that extra level of mitzvah necessarily, perhaps. It doesn't mean you can't completely wipe away the Avera without that. Very important to know. Bahalacha. Completely. And there's also another understanding in the Rambam. Even though the Rambam says it's specific, and you have to be, and I believe what Rabbi Berg said is Kodesh Kedashim, that we don't always understand the situations we're in, and that's for sure true. But even if not, one can reach a level where you've reached a level in what you, where you've moved on from what you've done, that if you would have been put in that situation, you wouldn't do it again. You've modeled it. You've lived it. And the, we might not know that and be able to prove it. The Rabboni Shalom does. And therefore, that's also Tshuva Gemura, like the Rambam said. But Farshim explained this in the Rambam. That's also a level of Tshuva Gemura. I've left it, and I'm on that level already. But I'll say one more thing. And that is, stop playing God. Stop. We don't play the Rabboni Shalom. Like I started, Rabboni Shalom loves us. We have no idea. You know, we have Baruch Hashem, and we have great tzaddikim that we follow, and we learn from, and how to do Tshuva, and how... You know, but ultimately, stop playing God. And the Rabboni Shalom, yes... The only one that judges and understands is their bonusham. And trust me, you move on and you're the best person you could be, you're going to be in all the palaces in Shemayim. And their bonusham is having such nachas ruach. And we don't have to play God of every intricate detail and, and did I do check and we get so sometimes caught up in, in those details. Who are we to know? Kosh will judge everybody as they are in their way, in their mud. Just be the best we could be. Just be the best we could be in every way. And we're good to go.
done all this job listeners to do for dating. I've been dominating, but I feel that my tools are not being answered. I often have less kavada now because I feel that if they were really powerful, then they would be working. I'm sure many other people are feeling this way. How do you push through and keep davening and working on hard skills during the challenge? And what else is there to do? You go first. The hard questions I give to him first. <laughs> you know, you know. First of all, first of all, I feel for you. I feel for. I feel for all of you. We're 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 sitting here. We're married. The tkufa of dating is, is a hard tkufa. Ms. I, I, my heart goes out to that time in one's life. It's a time of, of confusion and a time of, of yearning and a time of when you feel you could be doing everything you're supposed to be doing. And usually most of life, we, we want to always be in control. And most things in our life, we are. So yeah, we might not live up to who we want to be always, but ultimately I'm in control of that. When it comes to Shiduchim, we're completely not in control. I can do all this stuff. I'm davening day and night. I've met with Every shadchan I'm supposed to meet with, I've done, my parents are doing their ishtad, everyone's doing ishtadless, we're doing everything, and I'm sitting here, and I'm still single. And I've done everything I'm supposed to be doing. And that's hard. That's hard. It's not easy. So first of all, I just, my heart goes out, because it's hard. It is hard. It's, it's stop there, it's hard. That being said, we got to be mechazek or amuna. Mechazek Armuna, that Hashem is by our side. Hashem knows what's best for us. And Hashem knows the proper person. Hashem knows the proper time. Maybe he's not ready yet. You think we're, you're ready. Maybe he's not ready yet. Maybe, he's wor- Maybe that person that's perfect for you is still working and perfecting himself and he's stuck in something and he's not ready yet. And embrace this time right now. And that means maybe, and maybe you're not ready. You think you're ready, but maybe you're not ready. Maybe there's more that you have to perfect within yourself as an individual before you can compliment yourself with somebody else by your side. And embrace that time. It's important to embrace that time. There's different kufas in our life. Every time is very beautiful and wonderful. And of course, we want that menuchas nefesh to know because it's so scary and we know of older singles and all that. And I feel for that. It's real. But at the same time, if I'm not yet, that means there's more for me to work on as an individual and embrace that and be productive in that and live that and love that and there's a lot one could do as an individual, as a single person that you can't do when you're married. But you can't do it. I just recently saw it was Rav Alstein's Yurtzeitz. Rav Alstein, I saw a one-minute clip of him. He's talking on, on dating, and he's talking about, you know, you know, for example, when it comes to people who are sick in hospitals, and sometimes they need people to sleep overnight with them, little children, whatever. You can't do that when you're married. Embrace this time in your life. Every time in your life should be productive and meaningful. I didn't really answer the question yet, you know, but as far as tefillah goes, the world runs on tefillah. We see this from the Sheshish Mebarashis. Rashi at the beginning of Abarashis tells us this when it comes to the vegetation of the world, Ayin Sham. The world runs on tefillah, and Akash Baruch is waiting for our tefillahs. And it could be we're davening very seriously with a lot of kavana. And maybe it's just not enough yet, and don't stop. And just because it hasn't been answered, don't stop davening. Don't stop davening. Believe in the Koyach tefillah. Don't stop. Who knows when it's going to be that right time? You know, Moshe Rabbeinu also wanted something. He wanted to enter into Israel. And he davened, and he davened, and he davened. And he davened, and he davened very famously, how many tefillahs? Everyone knows, 515 tefillahs, right? Of Eschanan, Gematria of Eschanan, Gematria Tefillah, Gematria Shira. 
He daven, daven. Hashem said, Al Tosif, don't continue. You know why he said Al Tosif? He wasn't meant. That wasn't meant for him. Bez Hashem, Bez Hashem. I'm a Kayin. I can give brachas. This is my parsha Amor, you know? Every one of you, every one of you is going to be Zoycha to a beautiful Shidduch. Every one of you. The most incredible Shidduch. And you'll understand then why you had to wait a little bit for this person because it was well worth it. But Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't supposed to go in. But tefillah works so strongly, Hashem has to sell him al toysev ladaber, like, don't continue. Because if he would have continued, that would have been the next tefillah he would have gotten in. And if he would have gotten in, see, Shalom explains, he would have been in Eretz Yisrael, he would have built a base on Mikdash that couldn't be destroyed, and we would have been destroyed. It was all min ha-shemayim, it was all kol Hashem says, stop davening. But he doesn't tell us to stop davening. Just imagine, just don't stop davening. Don't stop davening. And it's going to come a time. It's going to come a time. Your tefillah is, just don't stop davening. Don't stop with Amuna. Don't stop being productive at this point in your life. And you'll see the Simcha. Azar and Bedima, Berinik, Saro, Bez Hashem, Esparach. Bez Hashem, Bechar, Mamash. Baruch Hashem, we live in a community that, that prioritizes family. And in the world today, family is becoming less and less important, and we don't believe in that. We believe that family is the most important thing. So from the time that you're a little girl, you grow up wanting to be a caliph, wanting to have a chasna, wanting to spend your life with somebody. My daughter, my daughter got married a couple months ago, and... and they took, they took us to a place to take pictures. You know, in Eretz Yisrael, you could take beautiful pictures. There's like so many beautiful places to go. So they took us to some like small moshav outside of Beit Shemesh. And there was a little girl there, a five-year-old little Israeli girl, not, not from an Orthodox family. And she saw my daughter wearing, you know, what a kala wears. And, and she like said to her mother, like, do you think I could like meet the kala? Like she was a celebrity. <laughs> And so the mother said something to me, and I said, my daughter, and my daughter was like, of course, and she sat with this tiny little girl, and like, she gave her like a hug and a bracha, and it was like this beautiful, like, mixture of communities, but one family coming together, but I saw the gaguim in this little girl's eyes that like, one day I'm going to be a kala. You know, it's like in Ramat Beit Shemesh, on Purim, girls have, um, they can dress up, for Purim, as anything they want to, so they all dress up as cows. And it's like, every little girl is a cow. And so, of course, when it comes time, and especially because some people have made their living off of creating a tremendous amount of fear in the system, which is, of course, a terrible, terrible thing that's happened, where we mamish poured fear into the water. So there's a tremendous amount of pain as we, as we wait for for the opportunity to build this family that we value so much. Without getting into anything else, I just want to say this. If, if, you, if you have a choice between leaving that pain or listening to that pain, I would strongly encourage you to listen to that pain because there is an exceptional amount of beauty that exists in that pain. And if you can be okay, which is a hard thing to do, to pay attention to the pain and what it's saying, the messages that are in that pain are stunning. The messages are, I have gaguim to raise a family, I have gaguim to share myself with another, to give all of myself to another, to express myself in that way, to create that level of, 
of belonging, not just connection, but belonging. And there's so much beauty in that desire. And if you run away from that pain and you live in that space of fear, that's a deeply unattractive place to be. Attraction happens within ourselves. People who live in a space of fear are very unattractive. And sometimes we show up to a date so afraid, so much pain that, that we haven't listened to and paid attention to, it's impossible to create space for somebody else. And, and the opposite is true when someone pays attention to that pain and they lean into the discomfort of that pain and they realize about themselves how lit up they are, that beautiful desire to share their life with another, then, then it creates a hope that's born from pain, which is a very beautiful type of hope. And it means that the next date that you go on, you're showing up present, you're showing up available because you've really worked through those feelings. And tefillah can be a wonderful way to express that pain. Coming to HaKadosh Baruch Hu with a sense even of anger, of frustration, and saying, this is really hard, and I'm really lonely, and I'm watching my friends move on, and they're moving on sometimes in such a way that feels like I'm left behind by myself. And coming to the Rebbe and saying those really difficult things, and allowing yourself to feel them physically, and then listening to the beauty in that pain creates an opportunity to create real connections so that when you do meet the person that Be'ez Hashem you'll spend the rest of your life with, which will, God willing, be a healthy and enduring marriage, you can, you can, you can come to that relationship aware of what's going on inside of yourself. And isn't that something that you would want to bring into a relationship? I want you to know everybody's waiting to get married until they get married. And then the next phone call that, that Rav Kohn and I get is, whoa, this is really hard. And tell those girls that are single, like, hey, they don't run so fast to this. You know, it's not so simple living with these boys. They're a very different species than you. I had a boy call me up once, and he said to me, uh, and he's a sweetheart. He's like mamish, like a, a real tzaddik of a boy. And he's like, Rebbe, living with girls is really hard. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, no, 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 Rebbe, like, she pays attention to everything. It's like, I've been living in dorms for years. Nobody ever made a comment about anything that I did. I'm like, oh yeah, this, this whole section of the species is very aware of what's happening. And I want you to know that most men go, are going through life and they have no idea what's going on around them. And, it, it's, and sometimes you see like these, these wives are saying to their husband, did you see what just happened? He's like, what just happened? Yeah. It's like coming out of a dreamlike state, you know? And, and, and the women don't understand. I, I asked them to pick up his socks. What is, like, why can't he do that? Why is he constitutionally incapable of putting socks in a hamper? And the same husband's like, I'm not sure why she's upset at me. I'm like, did she tell you that she wants the socks in the hamper? She, I think she mentioned something like that. Like, he's, he's not aware of what's even going on. So we're getting that second phone call of, like, the girls are all running, like, Rebbe, it's so hard. But then they, we get the next phone call, which is, it's also so hard. <laughs> it's all hard. But if you'll... If you'll be present within yourself, which I do think is a real avayda it opens up many pathways. And when Rebbe is saying, don't stop davening, I don't think that he means only to the, like in Shamayim, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is waiting for that next tefillah. It's a, tefillah is something that shapes who we are. And so, yes, of course your pain is valid, of course it's understandable, but it's also exceptionally beautiful, and I, I hope that, that you continue to grow from that pain.
As someone who went to seminary and came back feeling inspired and on Yiddish quite high, I found that I, I began real life in the working field and it was extremely easy to fall into the traps and the narish kite of the, and the gotchmas of this crazy world. Sometimes I'd even say that the Yitzhahara makes me feel comfortable and not want me to get out of it. Any advice on how to work through this? Switch off. I'm following your lead. I'm good either way. I'm following your lead. There's a mice with Rivyakov Kamenetsky and his wife. That, uh, you're, you're, you're Ben Ertis role. You, you're, you make decisions. Huh? I think he's just saying that because he knows I'm jet lagged. There's a mice with Rivyakov Kamenetsky and his wife that when they went to leave a chasna, so, so Rivyakov said to his wife, When would the Rebbitson like to leave? So she said, Whenever the Rosh Hashiva wants to leave. So Rivyakov said, I want to leave whenever the Rebbitson wants to leave. <laughs> And they went back and forth like this many times until finally the Rebbitzin's like, how about in 20 minutes? And he was like, okay. Like, it was like, I feel like, you wanna, like I'll be Rav Yaakov's wife. You could be Rav Yaakov's wife. <laughs> so when I went to seminary and I was inspired, <laughs> first of all, I, I just want to say something. I've said it a number of times publicly, but I'm going to continue to say it. It's not a nice thing that I'm going to say, but I think it's true, and I'm going to say it until Bez Hashem something changes. And I think that Rebbe and I know, Boldus, I don't know if he agrees, but I, I think he agrees, because I see him living it. We have not done enough for you girls as a community. I don't think we've even done close to enough. A boy comes back from yeshiva, and he comes back to America, and there is a tremendous amount of infrastructure for his continued growth. He can continue on to yeshiva and, and fabrengans and tishes and, and basketball and rebeim and mashpiim and mashkichim. And there's a tremendous amount of opportunity and I don't think we've done enough and I'm sorry. And I know that it's wrong and it's not fair. And yes, it's true that people have different roles, but we haven't done enough. And if you're feeling like I was on a high in seminary, it's because in seminary, you are getting the investment that, frankly, you deserve and that you need. And that when you come back to America and you don't have that infrastructure and you're feeling this way, it makes sense. If a person wants to, to eat healthy, they should, they should go out to the store and they should put lettuce or kale or whatever. I don't try to eat this food, but it, there's a... <laughs> it seems to me that green... I, I, I like to eat brown meat, but it seems that green... We'll do better things for you. And so our wives again telling us that. Yeah, my wife's a very, like, a very healthy like, swimmer, so I'm, I'm the yin-yang in this marriage. So trying to balance out in my... I don't eat the food that my food eats, so that's my policy. So the... Uh, I, I, think if you're, I think if you're frustrated and you're, and, you're not, and you're not feeling inspired, I think that makes sense. I think that makes sense. I, I, don't know, I don't know if it should be exactly like the boys or what type of infrastructure it should be, but it's certainly true that, that girls are coming en masse to shiurim like this, and there's, there's a reason. It's because there's a tzamalacha nafshi that's occurring, and people are thirsting for something more, and we haven't provided it. Having said that, I feel badly that this is the situation that we're in, but the only thing I can share with you is that eventually this happens to everybody. We don't get to stay in the bubble of yeshivas and seminaries our entire life. And there is a gravitational pull that life has, and to the degree that we make investments in ourselves those investments will pay off. And so, Baruch Hashem, there are, though it's not formalized, there are a lot of opportunities for growth. And there are a ton of shiurim online, and you, you're going to have to do this for yourselves until somebody does it for you, until somebody comes and does it right. But until such time, it's your responsibility 
to make chaburas amongst yourself, to, to, to get connected with people, with families of girls that have gone through the seminary system and are a little bit older, and to make those types of, of chavrusas, quote unquote, and to invest in yourself. And I want you to know that I, I've, I've said to the boys very publicly that I, I think that a man's Torah is very important and it's important for the boys to know that their wife's Torah is also very important. And it's a balance, and it's a balancing act, and it's not simple. And Baruch Hashem, there's a chabura of women in, in Beit Shemesh, and their husbands stay home once a week. And these, these women have shiurim at night, and it's a beautiful thing that these husbands are saying, this night I'll learn, on, I'll learn on the phone b'chavrusa so that my wife can go out. It, it, it's not fair to raise a girl in the educational system that we have today. I'm sorry, I'm ranting. It's not fair to raise a girl in the educational system that we have today, where girls, Baruch Hashem, are intelligent, and we're giving them an intelligent chinuch, and then at 19 years old, we go, I'm sorry, no more learning for you. And, and somehow, the inspiration that was born of all of those years of serious learning is, is pulled out from under the rug, and we say, and now go and do it as if it's nothing. My wife is a real learner. She really is. She prepares shiurim. She's like a Rosh Hashiva. She sits there with tons of svarim, and she's sitting and preparing a shiurim, and she's thinking deeply about things. And if she's inspired, it's because she's continued to invest in herself. That's a very hard thing to do in real life when we have other responsibilities. And so, yes, the husbands today must make sure that their wives are getting the opportunities that they need. And the same goes for you. The same goes for you. I know we didn't do a good enough job. I'm part of the problem. I can't move back to America and solve this problem, but because my wife is there. And, but there's part of Conan's here, so it's your problem. But, the, uh, <laughs> but, but he can't leave DRS because he's fulfilling a critical mission there. But yes, somebody needs to step up. And in the meantime, until that happens, I'm asking you girls to think creatively right now to say which one of you is going to solve this problem. Which one of you is going to step up and say, let's do something together to create at least some more infrastructure than we have to solve this problem. We're trying, first of all. We're trying a little bit. That's a little bit of what we do here. Meaning a little bit of what we do here is trying. I mean, I wish I could do more. It's true. I take... I, I know this is not what Berg meant at all on a personal level, but I, I take it to heart. I, no, no. MS. MS, and you know. You know we're trying. It's one of the reasons I'm... I mean it from the bottom of my heart, dedicated to, the, to this shear that we have that started many years ago by Nashim Tsukonios and trying to, try to always make it happen. Even at times it might be sometimes difficult. But that's, that's once every two weeks. That's not, a, that's not close to enough, obviously. Maybe we have to start weekly. Maybe we have to start more. We'll have to see. But Lamaisa, you know, first of all, first of all, it's true. And you should realize as much as there is way more infrastructure and yeshivas and for men, you know, you should have men go through that same exact question and the same exact... even. Even while in those places, because sadly a lot of those places are missing all that we spoke about at the beginning of the night. And if it's missing all that we spoke about at the beginning of the night, even though they're in places where they have Rabbeim and they have Shirim, they have the same exact question. Trust me, we deal with it also. First of all, it is, and it has to hit a point in all of our lives at some point that we take it upon ourselves. We should do more. But meaning, when it comes, Baruch Hashem, we live in a door where you could find it, and you could go on the internet, and you could buy svarim that have English, and, and whether it's small chaburs or whether it's yourself, mashaliba chavitba, find something that really talks to you, that really inspires you, and dedicate yourself to, be koveit Torah. Meaning, Umar Shabbos of Lamez, it says, this, one of the first questions that we're going to be asked, and last time I checked, it doesn't differentiate between men or women. 
It says, Kavati Itam Torah. Now, the, the amount might be different. Maybe. But Kavati Itam Torah, did you set aside permanent time to learning Torah? Do each and every one of us here have some time every day that we learn for a few minutes and something that we really connect to, something that inspires us? We all could find that in this day and age, whether it's listening to a shir of a, of a rub that we really connect to, whether it's a safer, whether it's Olam Amidos, whether it's Mesil Shasharim, whether it's a halacha, whatever, it's safe, whatever does it for you, what does it for you. See, that's also very beautiful. You're no longer st- stuck in the structure where it has to be that I have a choice. You have a choice of everything at this point in your life. So find it. But I want to say one other th- idea, and that is that I think we have a warped sense of what Kedusha is, because the question was, you know, I don't feel Kedusha, I don't feel inspired, I don't feel... And, and through those years, you know, those years of seminary, they do wonders for us, but they also destroy something, and where we feel like Kedusha only means that I'm standing by the Kaisal davening the Elon Yom Kippur. And Kedusha only means that I can sit and learn Torah all day long, without any other responsibilities. And a few weeks ago was Pesach, and the uh, first day of Cholomayr, I went with my family, with my kids. We went to a Mets game to City Field. I'm not a Mets fan, but there was a day game. And that's what you do, Cholmite, you know, you go to Mets games. And we're there, and I was looking around, and it was obviously packed with Yidin, right? Packed with Jews. And I'm looking around, and I'm there, you know, wearing a Bekisha, and I look around, and, and almost everybody there is in Big Day Yantav. It's Cholmite, that's what you're supposed to be doing. And everybody's there with their, like, you know, potato chips and, and apple juice box drinks. And maybe someone made a cream cheese matzo sandwich, you know. That's Kedusha. That's Kedusha, because next to me, the guy is eating a hot dog on a bun in his baseball cap and Mets jersey. And what I mean by that is that Kedusha holiness is not just found in a base medrash and in a base knesses and in Eretz Yisrael. And we always need those check-ins and that's all very Kaddish and important. But we just had, you know, Kaddish Atzmacha B'Mutterlach. Last week, Kaddish Atzmacha Kaddish Atzmacha B'Mutterlach means that we can elevate everything and find Kedusha within it. And we have to recalibrate ourselves to recognize that my Vodin life is Kaddish in all that I do and everything. We make brachas every time we eat. You know what that is? Now, don't just do it quickly, robotically, mechanically. That means I'm elevating what I'm about to do to get close to God, to feel God in my life. There's a way I'm supposed to put on my shoes in the morning. Does God really care how Arya Cohen puts on his shoes? You think God really cares that I put on my right shoe, my left shoe, I tie my left? Does God really care? Really? Nobody helps me so that I can feel godliness when I put on my shoes in the morning. That's awesome. That's kadosh. There's a, a very famous story by the Mittler Rebbe. It's one of my favorite stories, you know. The Mittler Rebbe was the second Chabad Rebbe. And he lived, he lived on top of his, um, of, of, of the Balatanya. Of Shnerzaman of Liadi. Top of his father. And he was sitting, the Mittler Rebbe, whatever, the, the Balatanya was sitting in his, uh, in his house and he hears his grandchild he hears his grandchild crying. But it just continues and continues and continues. It doesn't stop. It's a baby crying and his heart's going out like, what's going on upstairs? Eventually he goes upstairs and he knocks. Nobody answers. He opens the door. He sees his son sitting and learning. And he hears his grandchild crying from his room. And he just passes by his son. He goes to the room. He takes his grandchild out of the crib. And he's soothing him and holding him. And, and he comes back to the room and he looks at his son. He says, didn't you hear the baby crying? What, what, why didn't you go help him? 
says, I was so absorbed, so engrossed in my learning, I didn't, I didn't even hear him. And the Baltanya gave him such a mercy, he says, that Torah is nothing. That's not the Torah that Hashem wants you to be learning, if you can't hear the cries of the baby. There's so many ways you could take the story, but one of those ways is to understand that, you know, it's Kaddush to take care of your child. It's Kaddush to soothe your child. At that moment, that's more Kaddush than the learning. And we have to understand and recalibrate ourselves at this point in our lives as we're going into a time and we're, we're in college and eventually we're supposed to get married and to have children and to have a house and I'm going to be cooking and cleaning and it's all, it's all kadosh. And we have to think like that. When we think like that, life is inspiring because I realize I'm with their bonus from every single minute of my life. So yes, of course, we should continue getting the inspiration from Shi'urim that we can go to and we have to find them and, and the Torah and all that and, and our davening and, and our Tisrael and the Kais, all that's real and we have, to, we have to go as often as we can to our Tisrael and this chus to sit next to, just to sit next to Yedid Nafshi, Avir Da'ara, to feel that for a few moments. Kina Soifrim. We're here for whatever reason, we should be here, but we can't. Libya B'Mizrach every single moment and you gotta go. So upsetting, I just spoke... <laughs> It was Thursday night, but recently I was somewhere and I saw an old friend and we were talking and he opened up to me that he hasn't been in Eretz Yisrael in over three years. And I'm, I'm mamish, I wanted to like, I, I wanted to scream. We were in a public place, so I didn't want to embarrass him, but I wanted to scream and I, in, in my way I did at him. I said, are you serious? And he's, he's well off, it's not money, it's not... I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, it was COVID. I said, COVID ended years ago. <laughs> I've been in Eretzrol about eight times since they didn't let us into the country. And during COVID, I cried every night that they didn't let us in. What are you talking about? Well, I I'm going to go soon. because I said, no, no, no. I need to know. I can't see you again until you tell me that you're in Eretzrol. You need to tell me you have a ticket. What do you, do you, I said, do you understand? And he's, a, he's a Ben Torah, he's a Bal Yerushimayim, he's a wonderful person. I, do you understand that your life would be so different if you've been visiting Eretzrael? Do you understand how that lifts you up? Do you understand you need that love of Kedusha also? If we live here for whatever reason, we all have a reason. I hope you have a reason. If you don't, get out of here. But if you have a reason, you have a reason. That hope is good. Maybe that's when we're going to have to answer those reasons because that's our homeland. But if you have a good reason, you have a good reason. But not to visit in this day and age... And not to get that, you don't understand. You're not the same person if you don't get that chizik. So there are those levels of Kedusha we need. We need our Yisrael Kedusha. We need Shabbos Kedusha. We need davening. We need learning. But realize everything in between could also be Kadosh. And it's a different life. That's inspiring. That lifts us up. Yeah. And... Uh, been wonderful. I want to thank everybody again.